Do you suffer from perfect plant placement syndrome? PPPS. <laughs> yeah, that's something I totally just made up. But uh, this episode may not be for you if you know exactly where you're going to put all those new bulbs and seedlings and trees and shrubs that you had on your wish list. This may not be for you. But, or if you have the problem of perfect plant placement syndrome, that means that you need to find the perfect place to place your plants. Man, that's hard to say. Try to say that three times fast. Perfect plant placement syndrome. This is for, this episode is going to be for those who really just want to find the perfect place to plant your plants. Okay, so this is really not so much of a problem for gardeners that have been doing this for a really long time. And I'm going to tell you exactly why that is and why you really kind of need to go through the ropes uh, to be able to get past this perfect plant placement syndrome. Okay, by the way, if you're new here, then welcome to the Edible Gardens podcast. I'm your host, Nanette Blair, and I'm so glad you found us because what we do here is we help people create edible and beautiful landscapes that are way better than organic because I'm on a mission. My mission is to make good food accessible to everyone. And in my opinion, the best definition of good food is nutritious, delicious, and safe. And it doesn't get any better than picking fresh fruit, herbs, veggies straight off the plant where you know what went into it from start to finish. And you won't find any tomato cages here. As a matter of fact, there's a lot you won't find here, including pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, or any of the other sides. But what you will find here are landscapes that are designed for beauty, reflection, fun, entertaining, and the list goes on to whatever you want. After all, it's your home, your yard, and your taste. And beauty truly is in the eye of the beholder. Okay, you know that garden you've been thinking about? Well, I know you're ready. I know I'm ready. So let's dig in. Okay, what got me thinking about this is right now, I have all the plants that that are on my wish list that I've started from seedling or I've acquired, I've bought the bulbs, or I have the plants and I'm looking for the perfect place to put them. Now, this <laughs> this always reminds me of that. Do you remember that meme? Have you seen that meme that goes around on social media around Christmas time? It's called perfect ornament placement syndrome. <laughs> Basically, they're talking about a Christmas tree and having to put the ornaments in that exact perfect spot to make the tree look beautiful and all that. Well, it's funny because I do know some people that are like that and they agonize over the placement of every single ornament on their tree. But I don't really suffer from that because I know it's only going to be up for about a month. I put my tree, my Christmas tree up right after Thanksgiving and I take it down right after Christmas. And I know it's only going to be there for like a month. And so I put the ornaments on there. I try to distribute everything, you know, as as uh, optimally spaced as possible and all that, but I don't agonize over it. But (laughs) when it comes to plants, I do a little bit. I'm a little bit, I don't consider myself a perfectionist, but I, when it comes to perennials, that's the big thing. Annual plants is something that I know is only going to be there for one season. So like whether it's cilantro or it's broccoli, it's cauliflower, those are going to only be there until the weather warms up. So I really don't worry about those so much. And then the other things that are annuals during the summertime that really like the heat, like basil, tomatoes, 
uh, peppers, okra, all the zinnias, all those types of things. Those are only going to be there for a season as well. So I don't worry too much about those. I just leave holes in my garden, meaning an empty space that I can poke in some things. But when it comes to perennials, I guess you could call it PPPPS, <laughs> perfect perennial plant placement syndrome. I do kind of agonize over those just a little bit more than I do the annuals because I know they're going to live there for a long time, for a long, long time, I hope. And so I'm going to tell you my thought process with a few examples today, and I'm going to tell you how I come to the decision of where I'm placing those things as we're speaking. I mean, as you know, like in the season right now. So let's get into that. Okay. I know that there's some plants because I do my plant folios that require shade or partial shade or full sun. I know from experience that I don't want to put a drought loving plant right next to a plant that needs a lot of water, right? That's a whole companion planting thing. I know that I have some things on my wish list that are projects, not just the plants. So for instance, and I think I've talked about this before here on the podcast, but I want to have a screen, a wall of something that's going to give me some privacy between the street view and a pool that we're planning on building. So I don't want someone to see me standing on the deck of my pool or walking around the pool in my bathing suit. So I want to plant some sort of a a shrub wall or some kind of trees or something there. So I'm matching up the plants that I have on my wish list with the projects that I have. So that's part of it. I also know that I have some plants that really like to spread out and need a lot of room. And I also know that I want my edible landscaping to be really filled in and complete looking without holes in them. But I also know that I want to leave some holes. (laughs) You see where I'm going with this? I want to leave some holes that I can poke in some annuals. Okay, so in annuals meaning, okay, so let me just kind of back up here. Perennials meaning a plant that's going to live for many, many seasons, many, many years. And a annual plant is one that's only going to last for one season. Just in case you're new to gardening, that's what that means. But, uh, and I also want to leave myself footpaths so I can walk in there without stepping on any new seedlings or uh, even the soil. I don't want to walk on the soil. I want to walk on stepping stones so that I can harvest things without crushing the life in the soil and letting the soil get compacted, right? So it's like, ah, stop the madness. There's just too many things to think about. I picture that lady in my head. Do you remember that lady? What was her? I don't remember her name. She was from the 80s. She was this bald woman that would scream, stop the madness. (laughs) I think her thing was about diet. But anyway, I digress. (laughs) but um, I do suffer a little bit from perfect plant placement, but here's how most gardeners that are really experienced don't really feel that angst so much. And the more that I'm living here, we've been on this property for almost five years now. It's been about four and a half years on this new uh, place. And I am gardening new zone, new different type of uh, pH in the soil, different kind of climate. It's not humid here. It's more arid here. And so I'm having to learn 
the the soil here. I'm having to learn about the land. So we are going to talk about that today as well. If you're listening to this, even though you know exactly where you're going to put your plants because you just want to kind of feel superior to the rest of us, well, (laughs) don't feel too sorry for us because we are going to figure this out today. But before we get too far into this, I just want to tell you here, right here, right now, that this is one of those times where when an experienced gardener tells you start off small, this is a really good reason why. There's many, many reasons that people tell you to start off small whenever you're thinking about starting a new garden, but it's because when you have too many options, it's just so hard because there's so much potential. There's so much potential for things to go wrong, and there's so much potential for things to go right. And even though that plant will live and it will thrive, maybe it's not aesthetically where you wanted it. So we're going to talk about that today as well. But as I said, I have about 7,000 square feet of garden space. I like that. I like having a lot of potential, a lot of places that I can plant plants. And (laughs) I just kind of um, cleared out another space. We're on about three acres. So I cleared out another space where I'm planting a three sisters garden where I'm going to do corn, squash, and beans, and then some other Um, like kind of a wildlife meadow type thing all around it. And so, yeah, I have so many options. And so whenever you have fewer options, it's just easier. It just is. But still, even if you have 100 square feet, and this is a smaller scale for you, it's still going to make it a lot easier for you if you uh, follow what I'm about to tell you, okay? I know, like leading it up to this whole big thing, (laughs) but... All I really have to do is take my wish list from my 2021 garden planning guide and worksheet that we talked about at the beginning of the year. And if you would like to get this worksheet, let me just go ahead and tell you right now, you can email me at Nanette at NanetteBlair.com and I will send it to you. It's not too late to go ahead and make a wish list, to go ahead and make some plans. Uh, I don't think it's ever too late to do that. But it's the 2021 garden planning guide and worksheet. But we went through all this. I went through all this and I have some projects and I have some plants on the wish list. And so I'm going to match these projects and these plants, these plants up. So the plans, project plans of some things that I want to do, like build a screen from the street view to, to block the view to our pool from the street view, because I don't want people seeing me walk around in my bathing suit. I just don't. (laughs) So um, with the plants that I have, and I'm going to give you a lot of, I'm going to give you a few examples. I can't give you all the examples because it would just take way too long. We would be here for years talking about it because there's so many different types of plants, right? So let me tell you one of the things just before I get into the rest of this, one of the things that I've been thinking is I have some forsythia that has just completely taken over one of my garden beds. It was a mistake I made, which we're going to talk about the value of making mistakes also here um, on today's show. This is going to be chock full, a lot of information on this show today. But this forsythia just really is prolific and it spreads and it's really taking over a part of my garden space. It's kind of choking out some things. And I'm thinking, okay, that would be a good plant for a screen because it's going to spread and it's going to make just this kind of a hedgerow of these beautiful yellow flowers 
in the springtime and then when it's not the beautiful yellow flowers anymore then they go green and it's just going to be like a hedgerow a wall of green where nobody can see on the other side of that from the street view that's one option another option that i have is marshmallow that's another one that i've been looking for a spot to put this and uh, this would be something that would also grow kind of like a screen so that's another option that i have so it's learning the personality of the plants and i think that that's the most obvious thing a lot of people think about the plants the plants the plants the plants and they just don't put enough forethought into the land itself okay so we're going to talk about that today as well. But let's just go ahead and get right into it. Okay, so one of the plants that I know that I want to have a lot more of is Echinacea. And it's also called Purple Coneflower. So also known as pur Purple Coneflower. So Echinacea, Purple Coneflower, same thing. So Echinacea um, is one of those plants that's medicinal. And you use the roots of the plant uh, to make all kinds of stuff that's good for you medicinally and I've never done it before but it is something I have plans to do with and I know this because I've done the plant folio now with the plant folio let me just go ahead and tell you right here too that's the same deal I will email it to you if you just email me and say hey I would love to have this plant folio what the plant folio is if you're new to the show is it's a placeholder for you to keep all your research so you do the research and then you forget it, right? This is something that was really born out of necessity for me, but I'm gonna talk about all of the things about the echinacea and what helps me perfectly place the plant, perfect plant placement syndrome, is knowing what that plant needs. But you can email me at Nanette at NanetteBlair.com and I will email you this plant folio. Basically, it's a template that just has placeholders and the kind of information that I keep. And then I will also send you the an example of one that's completely filled out. So, uh, yeah, you can do that. Just email me at Nanette at NanetteBlair.com. And my name is spelled just like you see on the cover art of this podcast. Okay, so because I've done the plant folio on echinacea and I've grown it before and I, I'm going to kind of tell you some of the mistakes that I made. So first of all, the mistakes that I made is I planted one plant here, one plant there, one plant there. Now that in itself is not really a mistake. It's just that I've seen it since then at some places. There was um, a lady that I went to her house and she had a big um, you could call it a clump, you could call it a grouping, but it was just a big mass planting of just this one plant, echinacea, and or purple coneflower. And it was just that wow factor. And I thought, that's what I want. I don't want to just have one flower here, one flower over there, one flower over there, one flower there. What I want, it's on my wish list, it's what I I want what I think is beautiful is this mass planting of echinacea so that was one of the mistakes that I made for me I'm not saying that's a mistake if you do one plant here one plant there one plant there one plant there it's just for me it was more of a wow factor I mean it's a wow flower all all on its own w-o-w -W, wow flower all on its own just one 
But when you plant them in a big grouping, it's like, wow, it's just gorgeous. And I also saw that with Black Eyed Susans one time. It's like it really made a statement. And so for me, I want to do more of that. So I don't have to plant like 20 plants in one place, but I can plant like three or five in one spot. And then maybe three or five in another spot, just depending on how many plants I have or how many plants I want to plant. Okay. So um, now one of the other mistakes that I made is I planted it right off the front porch, which gets a lot of moisture because it runs off of the roof and we don't have gutters on our house so it runs right off the roof and it gives it a whole bunch of water in that spot right off the front beds of right off the porch where I sit and have my morning coffee I wanted it there because I wanted to see it and because I did a plant folio on it and I saw that and because I planted it in other places because I planted one here one there one here one there that it thrived in another spot in my garden. It's kind of that spray and pray method that I've talked about with the strawberries before. You get a whole bunch of something and you just plant it all over in all your beds and see where it's the happiest. Let the plant tell you where it's the happiest, right? Well, because I've done the plant folio, I know why it did not thrive right off the, the um, roof line, right in the front beds of the house, because it was getting too much water. It is a drought tolerant plant. And I have since found out from my research and my observation that it really likes poor rocky soil. So what does rocky soil, poor rocky soil mean? Poor rocky soil means it really likes a lot of drainage. So rocks will let water just shed away really fast it still needs water, but it doesn't want to sit in water. And a lot of times you'll hear do uh, doctors, <laughs> you'll hear gardeners say um, that it doesn't like to have its feet wet. And it's the same with a lot of other plants like lavender is another good example of that. So what would make a good companion plant for echinacea would be another plant like that. It would be sage, it would be lavender, it would be a lot of plants that just don't need a lot of water. They can grow in poor, rocky soil. Now, another thing that I found out through doing the plant folio and through my own observation is it did really well where I just forget to water sometimes. There, I have spots in my garden that I tend to water a lot. That would be kind of in my zone one where I am a lot, like sitting on the front porch, I see uh, the plants and I see if they're suffering or whatever, and I can just take the water hose and go out. But because I have 7,000 square feet of garden space, there are some spots that I just don't tend to water that much. And so now I have identified about four or five placements, places that I could place a purple coneflower. And so then I asked myself, okay, but I really want to see these. I want that wow factor. It's just going to make me happy when I see them. And yeah, I do walk through my gardens pretty much every day, but I want to be able to see it like when I enter the property or I want my guests or invitees to be able to see it when it does put on its full show. Now, I do know also from living with purple coneflower uh, in the past is that it really blooms a couple times a year. It doesn't bloom. It doesn't have that purple coneflower on it all season long. It's, it's a, 
it's a timely thing. It comes up like in the spring and then it comes up like in the fall. For me here, where I put, put them before. So um, when it does put on its show, I really want it to be evident. I want it to be somewhere where it's not like tucked in the back, you know, by the greenhouse, maybe where a lot of people don't go. Uh, I want people to see it like if, and I want to see it as I'm walking to and fro. So I want to put it somewhere a little bit closer to the house, but not right off the front porch line and not right or not off the drip line of the house. And we have a couple of buildings, so I don't want to put it off the drip line of that other building, what we call the bunkhouse. It's a little guest house that we have. So I need to put it somewhere where it's not going to get a lot. It's not going to get overwatered. I need to put it somewhere in a grouping with other plants that don't need a lot of water. And I'm going to give you an example here in just a minute of a plant that really needs to have a lot of water. So I wouldn't put those two together, right? So that really helps me narrow down those four or five spots that I've identified to about two spots. So I did just buy a package of uh, Echinacea starts. It's basically a root crown that they somebody grew them and then they dug them up and then they packaged them and then they sold them. So I will be planting those in those two spots. It still gives me, I think there was like 10 or 15 in the package. So I can divide that package into two and then I could still make a pretty big grouping of plants. And you're supposed to plant them like, you know, 24 inches apart. And I know they, they had that much of a spread. So I understand why they say that because they get to be about that wide. So I'm going to do a big grouping twice. Okay. But one of the other things that I did find out is that it's really an edge species. So I, I have a cottage style garden. I have figured out that is my style. I like everything to be kind of loosey goosey. I like everything to have kind of a wild look, but I want it all contained in the beds. And, and that matches the style of my house. It matches my lifestyle. I'm just not a formal kind of person. And so I know that I could do these in an edge on one of the edges of one of my food forests or edible landscaping, same thing. And so I can kind of um, place these on the edge. So it doesn't have to be out in full sun. It's an edge species, which means that it likes to get sun, but it could do with a little partial shade. And because we've been, I've been kind of digging around in these beds, um, you know, building my soil and all of that. In some of the parts of my gardens, I have clayey soil. And some of the parts of my gardens, I have a real well-draining soil. So I'm going to wait, going to make sure that I don't put it anywhere where there's clay soil. But this is really kind of the whole point of this, this episode is that if an experienced gardener in their own home, in their own land, in their own yard knows exactly where they're going to put something, it's because they know where these spots are. It's, yeah, they know the plants probably too, or it takes them just very little period of time to learn about the plants. It needs poor soil, uh, it needs rocky soil, it doesn't want to have its feet wet, it needs to be on the edge, an edge species. By the way, an edge species just basically means it's it grows naturally in its own natural habitat, out in the wild with no help from anyone, is on the edge of a woodland. 
that's what edge means. It grows on the edge of woods. Okay. So that's why a, an experienced gardener has an easier time with perfect plant placement because they know the soil. They know the little microclimates. They know where the sun is going to be at eight o'clock in the morning. They know where the sun is going to be at noon, high noon. They know where the sun is going to be or not going to be at two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And then again, you know, like just all day. So they know this. They know where the soil stays moist for whatever reason. They know where the soil is a little rockier or a little dry because they've been digging in around there. And that's really the whole point of all of this is an experienced gardener. It's not that they have more experience, not that they've been doing it for 20 years. It's that they've been doing it in that place for a long period of time because they know their canvas. And I know I keep going back to that analogy of the canvas, but it's so true. Knowing the the soil, knowing the microclimates, knowing the sun aspect, knowing the the temperatures, knowing all of that stuff just makes it so much easier to say, oh yeah, I know where I'm going to put that. And that's really the whole point of this whole exercise. You really, there's no way to go around this. There's no get rich quick scheme around this thing. And I know all the gardeners that are brand new just want to know what are all the tips and tricks? What are the hacks, right? Because that's the thing right now in the world that we live in is give me the tips, the tricks, and the hacks. You know, like what what can I do? Just give me the quick answer. And you really have to go through the ropes, You really have to, it's a rite of passage. You have to study for your test and then you have to pass the test before you get a diploma, right? You need to, or you, you finish a class and you get a certification or you finish the class and say, yeah, I took, you know, principles of horticulture or I took principles of accounting or whatever. You've got to do the, the, the study work. You stay up late and you you study and then you get tested on it and you get a pass or fail grade. Well, the plants are your pass or fail. They're going to tell you whether you passed or failed. But the good thing is, is like nobody is going to take away from you the right to garden. Hopefully, gosh, that never happens. But you you need to learn these things. You need to internalize it and you need to live with that property for a while, not just the plants. It's not just the plants. It's the property. It's knowing where all the little microclimates are. I mean, we've talked about microclimates before. We've talked about the soil here before. We've talked about plants here before. But it's really, this brings it all together. There's no way around it. You need to learn your plant material, meaning the plants. And then you also need to learn the different little um, microclimates, the soil types in where you're gardening. And that's why I really want to talk to people who are doing it themselves in their own yard. I'm not really interested in talking to the landscapers that want to learn how to do edible landscaping for other people. Unless you're really going to get dig in, literally, into the soil and see this spot over here is different than this spot over here. I mean, they would really need to live there on your property for a couple of years before they really know that. And I would say probably there's a lot of homeowners that don't really know that because they're not out there actually getting into the soil. They're not digging around in there. They're not saying, oh, wow, there's a big patch of earthworms here. I don't know why, but there is. Or there's a 
plays here that just stay soggy all the time, which means that that soil is going to be anaerobic. You're going to have a hard time growing anything successfully in that area. But you may just have the mindset of maybe you just came to the show and you just found this show or any other gardening shows or on YouTube or, or books or whatever. And until now, all you've really had an interest in your backyard or your front yard is just, I don't know, cooking hamburgers on the grill. And that's, or mowing, or making sure you had the greenest lawn possible. But it takes really digging in. <laughs> I mean, I'm not talking figuratively here. I'm talking literally here, digging into that soil to see what is going on there. It's really multidimensional. And I know I'm getting really frou-frou-y on you here, but let's go ahead and go on to the next um, plant here. Okay, so daylilies. Daylilies is another one that um, when we lived at the Christian Youth Foundation, was, which was a summer camp when we first got married, and we moved to East Texas from Fort Worth, there was a long swath or a long row of daylilies lining the driveway. And it was just beautiful. I didn't know anything about gardening. And I really had no interest in gardening at the time. But these flowers were just gorgeous. They were just beautiful. And it was just in this long row. And I picked those flowers every day, not knowing that a daylily means basically they only bloom for one day. But it was a good thing, I guess, I got them when, they did, when I did because I brought them in and, you know, cut them and brought them in the house and they made me happy. And so, but anyway, I really want some daylilies. They have some special meaning for me and I think they're beautiful. They're gorgeous. And so I did a plant folio on it because I really haven't lived with daylilies except for <laughs> I did make a mistake with my daylilies. So I did buy some daylilies when we first moved to the property here and I planted them in a place uh, that I really wasn't that familiar with wasn't familiar with the flower or the plant. I wasn't familiar with the place here on this property. So I said we've been here for four and a half years and I planted them probably that first summer because I wanted some and I planted them in a place that just didn't get enough sunlight. So the daylilies really, uh, they need a lot of water. I planted them in a place that I forget to water a lot. I just don't water there that much. I think I even put soaker hoses in that bed, but I didn't put them right next to where the daylilies were. So I would have had to really had that water on for a long period of time for that water to spread out to where those daylilies were. So they didn't have enough sun, didn't have enough water. So because I did the plant folio, I now know that daylilies are something that really require a lot more water. So I would not plant daylilies next to the echinacea. Now, when I was doing my research, I did find that there were pictures, there were images on the internet that show echinacea planted right next to daylilies. And I thought, huh, okay. Now, I've been to some places where you can tell they were landscaped. A professional landscaper did this. They brought in a bunch of plants and they planted them there. I have since found... I mean, I, this wasn't like yesterday or anything, but I would say within the last five years, I have found that uh, at, talking to some homeowners associations uh, for a condominium complex that wanted me to do some edible landscaping for them, I 
talk to them about, you know, what they were already doing. And they were saying that the landscapers that they were using were bringing in, they would do a color change, like a seasonal color change. They would just bring in a lot of plants, a lot of bulbs, a lot of plants, whatever. And they would just plant a bunch of stuff and make it look good for a short period of time. And I'm like, wow, do they, people really do that? People really do do that with, I can understand with annuals, but with perennials, really? I mean, that just seems like such a waste of money. And that's what the president of the homeowners association or the property owners association said too. It was like, yeah, I mean, it seems like a waste of money. Why do we, if the plant's going to live for a long period of time, why are they pulling everything out except for, of course, money, profit to, uh, to do that, to say, um, we're just going to make everything look all fresh and new for you a color change. And so that's what they do. And I thought when I saw this picture, okay, well, I, maybe that's what this was about. It was just about the picture. Maybe it was HGTV. And they said, I can imagine, I don't know that this is what happened. I wasn't there. I wasn't a fly on the wall, you know, when they had the conversation, okay, let's make this look perfect. I think I even did a show about uh, compare the dangers of comparison or picture perfect or Pinterest perfect is I think that I do suspect, I don't know for sure, these pictures are taken. When I, okay, let me just back up. I take a picture when my plant is like, whoa, beautiful. You know, it's like a fleeting moment. It happens on a couple of days, maybe even one day, maybe even one hour where it looks just, it just looks picture perfect. And then the rest of the time, the plant looks, uh, you know, it just looks like a plant. It doesn't look like, wow. And when that happens, I snap a picture real quick. But I suspect some of these gardens that look just perfect, they were planted to look that way. And then a picture is taken. And maybe just a planting was done just to have a picture, just to sell magazines. I don't know. That's what I suspect, but I can't prove it. <laughs> but I can imagine that that does happen. But as for me, I'm not really doing it just to take a picture. I will take a picture and I'll post it on Instagram when it is that fleeting moment when the stars are aligned. Sure, I will do that. But I mean, this is that danger of comparison thing. But getting back to the daylilies. So one of the things that I do know is that daylilies are a lot like irises or even I think echinacea too. But the crocuses, uh, sometimes these things just need to be dug up So I and spread out. So I am not trying to buy a bazillion bulbs or plant starts because I know they're going to just reproduce themselves. They are going to just produce a lot more plant material for me and I can spread them out over time. Again, it kind of goes back to that. How does someone look like the wise old gardener? Well, it's, you know, they they have just been doing it for a long period of time and their gardens look very developed. It's not because they went down to, and this is a, maybe a poor analogy for it, but <laughs> they didn't just go down to Ethan Allen and pick out a showroom floor and bring it in and say, oh, look what a great decorator am I? <laughs> you know, it develops over time. And I know that's not the answer that a lot of people want to hear. But when it comes to getting back to the perfect plant placement, it's knowing the, the topography, knowing the soil type, knowing the microclimates, knowing the sun path, knowing your footpath, 
knowing where you want everything, it just develops over time. This really is not a get rich quick scheme. Gardening, there's there's really no shortcuts. Yes, you can plant a plant and it can live and it can even thrive, but maybe it's not in the perfect place. Like, you know, where you can see it. It's like, why did I plant that there? You can't always dig it up and move it. As a matter of fact, like I said, I think I said this about the echinacea, the part that you use for medicinal purposes is the root. So that's the perfect time to harp when you're harvesting the root and you're, you're like, oh, okay, well, there's more root. I can plant that somewhere else. I can just replant it. Plus, it's supposed to be a really good self-seeder. I did not find that to be the case, but I think it's because I put it in a place that it wouldn't thrive, that it wasn't, you know, didn't wild itself. It didn't go wild. And that's really what I want. I want my plants to thrive so much, especially my perennial plants, to thrive so much that they just go crazy. They just go wild. I'm okay with that because I have plenty of room to plant, to, you know, dig up some things and then, and use that parent material and just make more plants. I'm cool with that. That's the kind of gardener that I am. I want everything to just go crazy. Just go wild. Just take over whatever you want to take over and I'll dig you up and I'll just put you somewhere else if that's the case. So, <laughs> so yeah, I have a lot more examples like that, like raspberries. I know because I did the plant folio. Again, you can email me at Nanette at NanetteBlair.com and I will send you the plant folio or the 2021 garden planning guide and worksheet. And then uh, you can listen to that episode where I've, I've talked a lot about plant folios in the past and I've talked about the 2021 Garden Planning Guide and Worksheet. You, I take you through the steps and how I plan out my whole year. But raspberries, I made the plant placement decision based on what I found in the plant folio and knowing the my land and just where I wanted to put that. Now, one of the things that I had on my wish list was to camouflage the propane tank. So we have a propane tank and I'm so glad that we do because we that really came in handy when all the power was out because we have space heaters that we kept in the barn when we upgraded this house to central heat and air and all that. But that's what kept us alive <laughs> during this last winter storm that we had in 2021, Snowmageddon. Um, but the propane tank's not something that I really uh, am like proud to show off. <laughs> that's something that I want to screen. So I did find a place to put those because it does get the right amount of sun and shade, the partial, you know, and, and all of that. But I did a plant folio. Not only that, I talked to some people. I, w I took my research to a whole new level on hydrangeas. I talked to people that live in my area that are growing hydrangeas, not just something I found on the internet. But my whole point with this is that there is no way that we can talk about every single plant and what is their perfect placement? There's no way around it. You have to match your research from the plant folio with understanding intimately, getting to know intimately all of the things about your property and where you want to put stuff. And that does not happen overnight. Perfect plant placement comes from trying it out here, trying it out there. Kind of that spray and pray method like I talked about. If you want to learn faster, do that. But the reason that a wise, old, experienced gardener knows exactly where to put something, it's not because they know the plants. It's because they know their property. 
And that's my whole point on this. And uh, I know it's not the answer you want to hear, but it is the answer. It is, honest to God, that is the answer. That is going to do it for this episode. And don't forget, you can email me for either one of those, the uh, plant folio or the 2021 garden planning guide and worksheet help you plan out your whole year. I don't think it's too late for that. You can email me at Nanette at NanetteBlair.com. All right, that is going to do it for this one. And don't forget, this podcast is dedicated to you so that we can all put good food on the table. Until next time, bye for now.